0: Welcome, everybody, to the A.J. Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome, everybody, to the A.J. Osborne Podcast. So today... Uh, we're going to talk about a few things. I have a great guest, and uh, some of these things are near and dear to my uh, heart, um, which are going to be really important. Uh, we're t- talking everything from uh, insurance, how it works with real estate investing, how to protect your downside. Um, and today we have Tom Lana on, uh, Lonnie on, who's going to uh, talk to us a lot about his bulletproof investing strategy. And it's, it's a fantastic, he has an amazing story about him having a disability, losing his job, which anyone listening to this podcast knows that, uh, that, that strikes a, a chord with me. So with that guys, we're going to jump right into it.
1: Tom, how's it going? It's going great. AJ, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, you, you, all the things that you talk about is my language. So uh, I'm <laughs> really good. excited for this discussion and to dive more into this. Um, before though we get into some of these strategies and insurance, why don't we get, we got to set the stage here and understand how you got to sure. where you are and especially why that's important. Because where you came from is so correlated with what you do and why
1: you do it. Um, and yeah. that's
0: really important. So why don't why don't we talk about, you know,
1: why you do this. Okay. That sounds great, AJ. So I was in the music industry for 29 years and, um, I had an awesome, awesome run at doing that. I mean, most people don't get to stay in that industry for longer than 10 years or so. So at the close to three decade mark, um, i had to exit because i lost partial hearing and i could no longer do my job so i was a producer and mix engineer and i had one of those giant um consoles that you see in pictures looked kind of like the starship enterprise i owned my own studio um and it was just absolutely amazing what i got to do i got to work with some of the best artists in the, both the pop music and the contemporary christian music genre People like REM, um, Bruce Springsteen, Aretha Franklin, um, and then in the contemporary Christian world, I got to work with um, Rich Mullins was one of my all-time favorites, and Michael W. Smith, and you know, just that's that's uh, so oh,
0: that's not only amazing, it's so unique. Like there's just so it, few people that get get to do that.
1: Yeah, it was unique, and it it was a it was a great deal. Now, one thing that happened to me was. About 10 years into my 29-year run, about, oh, I can't remember, sometime in like 1990 or something, uh, an investment advisor or, or basically um, an insurance advisor approached me and said, hey, there's this unique product that you can get to protect your hearing. And um, that way, it kind of makes it so that if you can't ever do your job, then your income will be protected. And so I really didn't understand it, AJ, at all, but I signed up for it. And um, it turned out to be kind of a a lifesaver for me because when this hearing loss happened, and it was just partial hearing loss, it wasn't complete, and it was just in one ear, but when you're in charge of mixing the records, you are literally in charge of every fine-tuned nuance of how things sound sonically. It's like painting with sound. And if you can't hear perfect in both ears, you're you're basically unable to do that. It's kind of like a painter that is losing their uh, color perception. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, it does. Yeah. It, well, and this so, is
0: the same thing. Like doctors can ensure, so surgeons can ensure their hands. So yes. if something happens to their hands, because like it, it doesn't take a lot, but you know, I uh, I cut inside my hand and. Um, It severed all the nerves inside my hand. So like I have no no feeling on this finger and part of the other one. If I was a surgeon, that's a no go. It was nothing terribly serious or anything else like that. It was just a slipper knife. But like you, it doesn't it some of these professions, it doesn't take a lot to make it so you can no longer work in that
1: profession exactly so the thing i was so fortunate because i did not know what i was doing but i was fortunate that my advisor did know what he was doing and he set me up with what's called an own occupation definition of disability protection. And what that means is that y- if I'm unable to do my job, but I am able to do something else, then it still pays off.
0: Okay. Now, so. we, we, we got to hit on this because this is a sore spot for me. So okay. owner uh, ox policies, as 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 we call them, um, I had disability. I did okay. not have an owner-occupation policy. And my income was covered under that group disability. It wasn't personally mine. It was a group disability with the national company that I worked for. And a right. lot of times I'm insurance and I didn't get this, which is embarrassing to another level, which we don't need to get into that. But, uh, so, right. uh, you know, I had this policy and I think, first of all, it was the fact that nobody ever thinks about this stuff. So there, right. it wasn't like I ever thought For I took it because it was free. And I right. thought, oh, I'm covered now. And I never, ever expected to use it, right? Obviously, I never thought in my wild stream I'd become paralyzed or anything. But when I did, I had been investing in real estate. Yes. I had a certain period of time, which was literally like six months after I'd walked, not walked out, but rolled out of the hospital. At that time, they analyzed my passive income, which is an eroding effect. So first of all, it didn't cover my whole income. It only right. covered like a portion of it. Right. It was Mm -hmm. 60% or something like that. But my income that I made from my salary was most of my income, all our profits from um, real estate. We were just reinvesting back into the company. We were hiring people, everything else. But I did make um, uh, passive income off the real estate and it took away my disability. So what ended up happening because it was my lower income and I got paid at a lower amount on the disability, it took away that, which ended up meaning I lost 60% of my total income. And I'd paid for that disability policy forever. Right. Yet, I, uh, you know, and so very sore spot, but it's an important thing. What this owner, yeah. right? Policies, they're, it's very different than what you have on a group. Group medical yeah, pulse. it's very
1: different. And uh, own occupation means that they're going for your specific occupation. And normally, though, that does not happen in a group disability coverage policy. Yes. Unfortunately, that's just and and there's so few people that understand this stuff. Yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. It's but, a, it's a um, class
0: in its own. Well, and two is, is you know, like. What I found out, and I, and I learned particularly going through all this, it was a self-funded, not an insurance carrier one. There's there's all these weird laws that uh, yeah. go around with that. But two, disability coverage, like you're talking about, which is just incredible. I don't know how many hugs you've given to the guy that got you that, but should be a lot <laughs> because yeah. after you get it, like after the the event happens, you don't get insurance, right? So I have no disability insurance right? because nobody will cover me.
1: Nobody will. So, worry. so what you're touching on is an insurance dilemma called portability, right? Yes. And what happens is once you leave a job, um, you cannot take that old disability policy with you, you have zero portability. Now, people don't understand that either. That so I lost why my insurance. job. It wasn't portable. After I lost
0: <laughs> I, it, I had to be rewritten by an insurance company, which now yeah. I'm uninsurable as it is, yeah. is called. Right. So I can't get yes. a new one which also though, we're going to get into life insurance and (laughs) like like whole life, because we talked about that, which that was a big save for me. Uh, Oh, that's awesome, AJ.
1: I would love to hear that story. Well, long story short, guys, this is the quick and dirty of what happened is I got paid for five years every month, tax-free at an uh, unbelievably generous amount for this disability policy that allowed me to go back to school and get three financial designations. So now I'm a chartered financial consultant, I'm a chartered life underwriter and a chartered special needs consultant. So I went back, did six hours or you know more of studying a day, got past all of these tasks and was not required to actually make a living while I was going through all this late midlife education which I'm just telling you, man, there's no way most people have the uh, the luxury of doing that. No. Um, I think that's what made the difference in me being very effective today is that I didn't go out and try to tell people about this until I had really studied it inside and out and lived through a large part of it, par- part of it as well.
0: Which this is what separates you out. It, so there is, you know... When I look at knowledge, right, I always think that there is, you know, um, we have two different types of knowledge, right? You have applicable knowledge, right? And then you have learned knowledge, right? And these are two very different things. It is very different to read and learn about something in school and then actually go through it and have to do the actual part of it. Hence the reason why my disability thing was a little different for me and your experience through it. Right. Like our, our experiences were two totally different ones. You had an amazing experience. Mine was not, we both have knowledge, applicable knowledge. Now (laughs) I just wish mine would have come better your ways, but that's what I love about your, you and your story here is that you went back to school. You learned all about this. So you got all this learned knowledge though, through your applicable knowledge, you'd experienced it. You lived it. That is totally different. And the way that you framework then how the way that you're framing how you go about doing things is three dimensional, which is just I'm I'm really big on this. I just think it's so cool to learn from people that have gone through what you have. Not that I wish that I'm not saying it all that I wish what happened to you on you. Obviously, it's you know now you're having like probably like I did is huge crisis of this was my identity. This is what I love to do, and now I have to shift it, but. You went forward and you said, I'm going to make something out of this. And right. you really applied it to it, which is, for me, what makes the difference or what what separates people out. And that's what I love about your story is that you took this. Now you've got all of these. You're a financial consultant, right? You understand all these real estate investing, how to use. It, it, you understand knowledge that most people don't grasp, but it's because of your experience.
1: Yeah. Thank you, AJ. I appreciate that. I think that's what really drives my passion to be able to help people as well, because I knew that if I didn't have this in place, I mean, literally, I I could be like, I I don't want to disparage anybody doing this, but I could be like a greeter at Costco or a guy working at Home Depot or whatever right now, rather than literally helping hundreds of uh, investors all over the country. I mean, it just was a turning point that made all the difference for me.
0: I think this Uh-oh. is just fantastic. So let's go through here real quick. Here, right? You know, you get you get me so into this because, like, you know, kindred, kindred spirits here. You know, uh, but um, when you go through and you're becoming a financial consultant, right? How did you really get? And and I guess we could dive straight into. You created this idea of this bulletproof investing strategy, bulletproof wealth. Yes. 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 Now talk to me about why
1: you came up with this and how it works. So AJ, it's a little bit, I'm going to definitely do that. And I'll, I'll tell you what it started with was a passion for me while I was still in the music industry to learn about different theories of economics. So I was kind of always a little bit of a nerd in that area. And I started studying Austrian economic theory, which is based on sound money principles. In other words, we kind of diverged off of a sound money system in the '70s when we went off the gold standard. Yeah, we went all and Keynesian. I, yeah, we went all Keynesian. Exactly, AJ. I don't want to throw around too much, you know, because I don't want to lose. Uh, well, anyways, yes, we're all Keynesian now, and um, that's, I believe, a quote from George Bush, but. Um, (laughs) it is ridiculous what's happening right now. And this guy came up with a concept that I really latched onto. His name is Nelson Nash. He came out with a book, um, called becoming your own banker. And the concept was infinite banking and it's fully and 100% immersed in Austrian economic theory. So, the way I was introduced to it is I went to hear an Austrian economist named Robert Murphy speak. And he, at his speech, I didn't even know this was what I was going to, but he started bringing up this infinite banking thing and how it really satisfies the sound money theory. Because when you're banking or putting money, using money through an insurance product, like what I do, is a specially designed whole life policy, you are not involved in fractional reserve lending, which I don't want to go too far off the ranch here, but I'm going to just quickly yeah. tell people yes, what that it's is. Yeah. Fractional reserve lending is when you deposit money into a bank, the bank just has to keep a reserve on hand at a typically a 10 to one ratio. So if you deposit hundred thousand dollars, a bank can turn a rent around and lend out a million dollars, keeping that 10% reserve. And basically that is where the largest injection of money into the monetary system is, is when banks do loans with money that they didn't ever have before. Okay. So Nelson found out: hey, I've got these insurance policies that I started in the 50s, and I can take loans against the cash value. And it is not increasing the money supply because insurance companies do not have a banking charter and they have to maintain a one-to-one capital reserve ratio. So if you take a loan for $100,000, for example, the insurance company has to reduce their balance sheet by that amount. They don't just reduce it by 10% of that. I don't know if that's, does that make sense to you? Yes, it does.
0: So really this, here's, uh, you know, um, when we're looking at fractional banking, we're talking about money supply, increasing money supply. Um, yes. The the problem with this is though, um, it goes both ways, right? And this is kind of the key when you think about like deflationary um, banking systems. And in and, and when you're dealing with fractional banking, you have inflation, which means you have the rises in price and everything. But you have something called deflation, and deflation's the boogeyman. Deflation's what all central banks hate, and that's yeah. when you start losing money. And assets start losing value. That means when that bank's balance sheet now lost a million dollars, they didn't lose a million. They lost 10. Right. Because of how they leverage and how it spreads. And that creates cycles, right? And they're exaggerated. Yeah. What you're talking about using insurance products is you don't that cycle doesn't exist because it's a one to one. If the exactly. assets lost, the bank the balance sheet is readjusted for
1: that one, That's not ten. Fair. That's right. So there's no leverage in that system, basically. And you're, the product you're it, talking about is a whole life insurance product, correct? That is exactly yes. right. And the, the reason that whole life insurance companies have been around forever, um, when they're mutually owned, especially, and we're talking about companies that are 170 plus years old. And there are very, very few banks that are around that have been in continuous operation under the same name for that length of time. And the primary but there's There's reason, none that
0: have been around that haven't been bailed out, for sure. <laughs> <that's so>. Exactly <laughs> right.
1: The reason that, that banks are so volatile is because of the inherent leverage they have in the system due to this fractional reserve lending. And I would like to push back on one thing you said. You said inflation is rate rising prices. I would counter that and say, my definition of inflation is an expanding money supply. And when the, you have an expanding money supply, the outcome of that is rising prices. Because the more money you have chasing few, the same amount of goods, prices have to go up.
0: I like that way of thinking because you're thinking about the source, of the, uh, the source not the symptom. And so it puts better context around what it truly is. And this is a problem that which is interesting because when you look at fiat currency, right, they say, yeah, um, the money supply, right, can create inflation. But at the same time, they use that and say, but we can also get rid of it. And so that is the it, it's that is a Keynesian. When we talk about Keynesian economics, that's the government's involvement in the economy and basically running things, which right. is important for everybody listening to that. Because as of right now, we don't even have a economy. We have a government. Um, right. Every aspect of our economy currently is now being you know, ran by the government at this point, because of coronavirus, plus the bailouts of 2008. And so this is really important stuff, because it's you're talking about your investments, performance, your money, the value of it, and how you should utilize this moving forward, which a lot of people are like, I don't even know.
1: So there is a way to opt out of the traditional banking system. And that is by creating your own privatized bank. And that's why do I work with real estate investors, AJ? The the reason is because those are the unique people that I have found through doing this intensely that would like to have control of their money. There are so many people in the normal investment world that really would prefer that an investment advisor or somebody else just take over control of their money, they don't want to personally get their hands dirty and mess with it themselves. And what that ultimately means is that they're trusting in basically either investment advisor or the stock market in general for their future. And they're just hoping that it's all gonna work out okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and the thing I personally love and resonate with, um, real estate investors and specifically is that you guys would rather have control of your financial future and you would rather have your money working for you in ways that you understand versus just giving it to somebody and hoping that everything's going to be okay. Does that make sense?
0: A hundred percent. That is like the, I, I think that is exactly what sets apart real estate investors, is that. They're like, "Nope, I'm taking active control over this and they yes. use real estate as a tool to do it."
1: So that that is important to understand because what I'm doing here is helping people position their money. It's not an investment, okay? Whole life insurance is not an investment, and traditional whole life insurance is not what I'm doing. Traditional whole life insurance is the stuff that you know, my dad had from 1950, where it barely built cash value, it took forever to build cash value. And by the time it did, you know, it just it was not something that was really that useful. And the the actual face value of the contract didn't tend to go up every year either. So what I'm doing is, I'm helping people store money in a way that they can access it without increasing the money supply, which ultimately just dilutes their purchasing power. So the more people that do this, the less uh, fractional reserve lending is going on, but they're able to use it and make money like banks do. So how, how banks make money is something that so few people understand, AJ. Even bankers don't realize you know, the kind of incredible leverage that they're putting into the system. Which we all Um, found in 2008
0: when asking the (laughs) CEOs what went wrong. Everybody thought they were being coy or not honest. And that's not true at all. They were being totally honest. They had no idea.
1: Right. They literally didn't know. Investment banks in specific had the ability to create a 50 to one leverage ratio. So the banks that specifically went under in 2008 they could take a $100,000 investment and lend out $5 million. It was ridiculous. And then what were they doing with that money? They were putting that in risky collateralized debt obligations and all of this stuff that was just a basically a house of cards waiting to explode. Which they, and they were that, doing because it. they
0: wanted to use that to leverage up again, because they could yes. leverage up by using these other assets. So it, it yeah. was leverage on top of leverage. Just one was on the books. The
1: other wasn't. Exactly. Yes, I don't know if you, I I don't know if you've seen the movie The Big Short, but it's a great movie that goes through and explains this in detail. Yeah, the movie's
0: good. uh, the The book's amazing. I love it. Yeah, and I
1: I need to read the book. Oh, it's so good. It's one of my favorite books. Is it really? Yeah, it, it goes
0: in like the concepts they talk about when you're talking about fractional banking, when you're talking about CDOs, things like that. The book goes so in depth. It's it's amazing. But anyway, that's
1: so cool. Well, I love that. So the reality is, is that, AJ, let's forget fractional reserve lending for just a minute. And let me just ask you this. If you um, were to put $100,000, for example, into a bank, right, do you think that the bank would consider that $100,000 an asset on their balance sheet, or would that be a liability? This is something that I think people get messed up with. Um, in their thinking because that hundred thousand dollars is owed to me. Well, it's it's owed to you, and they immediately have to start paying you some tiny bit of they don't they don't make money money. unless they leverage it. Exactly. They do not make it cost them money for you to deposit money. So they technically, if you get to an honest banker, which I'm not sure, you know how many people are really going to admit this, but they consider your deposit a liability. It's not until somebody comes along and wants to take a loan from them, do they consider that loan now an asset. Uh And the normal population literally has that backwards. They think every time I deposit money in the bank, that's an asset on the bank's balance sheet. And every time they give out money, then, oh, shoot, that's a big liability. That's a bummer for them.
0: They'd go bankrupt if they didn't
1: loan. Exactly. So... This is what I'm helping people to realize in the in the uh, real estate world is that positioning your money where you can loan it out and make money like a bank does is the smartest way to position your capital. And you can put it into whatever investment that you're personally wanting to do. So I work with you know every facet of the real estate industry. Um, from people who do flipping to people who do um, uh, multifamily, uh, mobile home park investing, node investing, private lending, um, just you know, self-storage all over the map. And they, once the light bulb clicks off in their mind as to, hey, wait a minute, if I start making money like banks do, then I am going to be making a much greater rate of return than just straight putting my money into those investments that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So why don't we simplify it and walk people through it? So you have a whole okay. life policy, right? Let's yeah. say the cash value. Well, yeah. you can talk about, I'll let you talk about. it. You got a whole life policy, what do you do with them and how does that work on your insurance? So policy?
1: the way, the way my average person comes to me is that they've been storing their money somewhere else because they need to have liquidity or access to capital quickly to be able to take advantage of a deal when it comes along. So, for example, I love listening to your um, podcast on uh, self-storage because I'm very interested in that asset class. And, you know, the, the one just from earlier this week where the guy was talking about the RVs, um, parks and everything... You know, those things don't come up very often, those RV storage facilities. And if one comes up, you have to be able to take advantage of it and lock up that deal, right? Yes. So you need access to money quickly. And because people need access to money quickly, they love to just leave it in a bank account, which has almost no advantages except for that you can get access to it quickly. All right. Yeah. So that's it. There's no other advantage because they pay you nothing. And the money that is left in there earns interest at a piddly, tiny little rate. And the money that is given to you in interest is taxable as ordinary income. So it's got a ton of disadvantages and only one advantage, and that is that it's liquid. So what I do with the whole life policies is typically we overfund or put a large dump in the first year of paid up additions, which goes right to your cash value, and those are you're able to then use that typically within 30 days of depositing those paid up additions, you're able to use those to invest in a deal. So you don't miss deals when they come along. But if you don't find a deal, like this guy was saying on your podcast recently that, hey, sometimes it'll take years before another deal comes up. Well, you're enjoying Uninterrupted compound growth inside of your policy on a tax advantage basis while you're waiting for a deal to come along. That's what the reason that people want to put typically as much money in there as possible, right? But the reality is that it is life insurance as well. That's why it enjoys the special tax advantages. And everybody qualifies for a different amount. And people think in their mind, oh, I can go get as much life insurance as I want. And that's not true. You no. you cannot get that. <laughs> no. And so I have to qualify people based on their age and their income determines how much they can qualify for. The older you get, the less you can qualify for. And then the cost of it is determined by your health. Yeah. So I can't
0: get in, I can't get it at all.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> so but, but, AJ, yeah. you can't get life insurance at all. Uh-uh. So one of the things that I do, AJ, and this is the third leg of my Bulletproof Wealth stool, is an option strategy. And that option strategy is convertible term insurance with a mutually owned company that I can convert into whole life at any time during a 20-year guaranteed conversion privilege. So this is why I'm not saying you can do this now because yeah. if you're uninsurable, you're uninsurable. But, but going the from term
0: is, to whole life.
1: Right. Option. So when people when people are younger and they're not making a ton of money, they can still lock up this term for a very low price and guarantee that they can do it later. And I have people all the time start that way. And then a couple years in, when things start turning around in their business and they have more liquidity and they're ready to take advantage of this more advanced infinite banking strategy, then I just convert the policy from a term to a whole life. And then I design and structure it at that time. And and
0: luckily I was in the insurance industry. So I had an individual policy of a couple million that was a term, but then I also had a whole life policy, which I kept. Um, And the reason why I think that's important and people need to understand is once you're uninsurable, you're uninsurable. But the ones that I got can't be taken away from me and particularly that's like right. my whole life I, uh, my whole life policy I can actually grow it and I can I have options with it my term life no that's set. So my term life was set at like $2 million, um, and I got that when I was younger, which was uh, also good. Um, but I can't – if I wanted to go up and up it, I'm uninsurable now, so I just keep it, and that that's good. But the whole life policy is the policy I have options with. So like for me, what I did too is I went – the moment my kids were born, I immediately bought whole life policies for all of them. Because I'm like, I don't know if they're going to be uninsurable. I don't know if they're going to be sick and I can no longer have life insurance. And then after they turn 18, I can give them the policy now that they have, which no one can take away from them as long as they pay it. And so uh, that was, you know, for me, really important because especially with kids, you don't know, maybe they get older and they have medical issues and they have that. And then all of a sudden they can never get insurance. Um, But whole life took care, takes care of that.
1: That's awesome, AJ. And I do that for my families as well. I normally set up the parents first. And then when they're wanting to to do more, I usually have them set up like it's a 529 alternative plan typically is the way I set it up where we're funding this for the children's college education fund or whatever. And then they can always be gifted to them later in life. Um, and, and I do that all the time. It's awesome that you did that, AJ. And I totally get it. And with the whole life, that
0: was actually one of the things we're doing. I was building up cash, uh, uh, value in it. So then when they got older, we would use it to buy real estate. So
1: love it. And that's so cool. So, and then the kids then are me, set
0: up because it's an insurance policy. I'm not gifting them the money. It's <laughs> so, you right. know, like no, you've got to use your insurance policy, and they have to learn all about it. Then they have to go buy their own asset with it. I, I, I don't know. I felt like that was a better way instead of going out and saying, "Oh, Dad's going to buy you a duplex so you can have an investment." Right. Right. No, here it is. <laughs> you need to go use it, but it's a whole lot. It's not. It's not just handing you cash or something like that. But I mean, that's kind of a different subject, but the point is you have the options, right? With that. And a lot of people, um, you're accruing it. It's kind of like investing in yourself as well. It gives you options to go and invest in other things, but you can have it as a life insurance policy. It's the flexibility that I like.
1: Yes. It's so cool. And people don't realize that, especially the way that I set people up is that if for some reason you want to stop funding it all together, You can do that after the first eight years where it won't become a modified endowment contract. We can do what's called a reduced paid up option and you just stop putting money into it. No more ever is due. And what it does is it allows the cash value to keep compounding and going up and up and up. But then the death benefit or the face value of it just goes down and they freeze it. So it gives people a lot of flexibility. Um, And I don't think that there's a lot of people that understand as well that this can generate literally a tax-free retirement income that goes yeah. for their whole life as that's well. That's
0: one of the reasons I mean, I have one on my, me and my wife that that's the whole entire purpose. It'll be invested. We get a certain amount of return, but it'll be a tax-free return after it's all pulled up. Now I gotta, I gotta state but, this as we get into the weeds with us and us insurance, yeah. everybody's like glazing over. You don't yeah. need to know all this stuff. What you do no. need to know though, is your goals and your outcomes right now. We're talking like life and whole life, but I learned all of this stuff on because I didn't do that. I didn't do individual life. Or that, so But the point is, I understood what my goals were. I was like, listen, I would really like my kids to have a life insurance policy that can't be taken away from them. So if they're yeah. sick or something like that, and then two, something that they could have a cash value and use it. And I wanted the same for me. That's it. That's all that I was really focused on. I knew the outcome, what I was trying to do. Am I trying to get something that I have options with or whatnot? And then obviously there's people that are professionals like Tom, everybody else that can help you figure all of that out. It's important though, to know what we're talking about is out there and it's an actual option. Like this is real thing. It's not, it's not, it's complicated by the terms of the lingo and things that people use, but it is a mainstream thing. This isn't some weird financial product that, you know, no. that is obscure. No, this is this is a normal main thing that's been done for long, 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 long time.
1: So, yeah. yeah, almost 200 years they've yeah. been doing this. Before I, I yeah, mean, Way
0: before we were doing fractional banking in the United States <laughs> right? yeah. or a uh, fiat currency in the United States fully. Um, yeah. So this is great stuff. Now, talk to me about if I use that policy to go and buy real estate do yeah. i lend off it i have to pay the whole life policy like i can see a lot of people going okay it has cash value but what what does that mean do i just All go right, to so a bank and pull it
1: out or like what what i need to explain to you is let's just think of it as a home equity line of credit okay so you've got a, a house that is sitting there and that house is say worth $500,000 but you only owe 200 on it. So you have 300,000 of equity. Well, they're going to allow you to get a home equity line of credit, okay? And you could leverage that line of credit and put into another investment and you would be paying a fairly low interest rate, right? So I know people that do that kind of a thing. <clears throat> the problem is is that the, all of the interest that you pay for that home equity line of credit is going to a bank. And you do not own or control that bank. So that interest is gone. See you later, never returning. Okay. When you pay interest for the use of collateralized money inside of whole life policy, that interest is paid to a company that you are a mutual owner of, because I only work with mutually owned companies. So they return the profit of the company back to the policyholders in the form of a dividend. So that is why you have this growth inside the policy. The other thing is that like a home equity line of credit will never expand. It'll never get larger unless you go back and request a full additional assessment of the house and you get uh, another application and all this stuff. And with this, the line of credit goes larger and larger and larger every year. As you put in new money, your access to capital goes up. And what people are doing with this is taking loans against that equity in their life insurance, just like taking loans against equity in your home. And they're using that and putting it into real estate investments. And that way they only are paying the interest to the life insurance company who then returns a portion of that. And sometimes more, depending on how old the policy is, back to you in the form of a dividend but you still have your real estate investment as well. So this is a way to have money in two places through the use of collateralization. Does, does that yes. make sense? Yes, AJ? it does.
0: Now, let me ask you this. You know, as I'm thinking of what the listeners may be thinking about here, what happens if you're in a depression and the real estate goes bankrupt?
1: Okay, that's a great question. So you're, the reason they give you a loan is because there's a face value or death benefit associated with your policy. And let's just say that you had built up a four or $5 million death benefit and you had a $1 million outstanding loan. Well, they know that they're on the hook to pay, because it's a whole life policy, somebody $5 million at some point, right? So what they're going to do is keep Building that loan up, if you don't pay it back because your real estate investment crashed, then if you, when you pass away someday, that loan will be paid back at that time and your beneficiary will get the net difference. What that means is that if you have, if you passed away with a $1 million outstanding loan on a $5 million policy, your family would get $4 million. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. They're going to get that loan satisfied someday. Because until we develop, you know, a sort of a uh, perpetual anti-aging time machine or whatever, everybody's going to pass away at some point. So yes. that's, why they, that's why they know this is going to work, you know. Yes. Whereas uh, 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 back to the home equity line of credit, they don't know for sure. A bank doesn't know for sure that that house is going to go up in value every year. So that is why they have the option to call your line. Okay. Okay. Because they are in control of it, not you. There is no option to control your, to call your line in life insurance because it is like a privatized bank. You have guaranteed collateral access to it. Okay. There's a ton of advantages to it yeah. over any other financial product that I've ever found, and now we haven't even talked about the tax advantages. Yeah, so tax advantages um, are awesome. Now, they are let awesome. me ask you
0: this: when you when you're looking at um, when you're working with people, yeah, what is your average person that? is doing this or taking advantage of this? Like, I mean, is this something that everybody's like, okay, yeah, this, you know, multi-millionaires multimillionaires, I mean, like, how does this work? Who has access to the whole life? I mean, you know, when I feel like when people hear these kind of this kind of stuff, and they, it's like, that's not obviously for me, or I'm not that wealthy to right. do this.
1: Well, AJ, that's a great question. And that is the reason that I start with multi ways, multiple ways to tier into this. So one way is like, Just capturing your insurable interest with a convertible, meaning you could switch it from term to whole life at any time, term insurance policy. And that's very, very, very affordable way to to get started. And I have a lot of people who start with that. But my typical real estate investor is starting where they've been saving money in a typical checking or savings account or somewhere that they're not happy with the performance of it. And we're moving that money through into whole life. And guys, the sky's the limit on how much we'll move um, in. But it just, you know, the average person might be anywhere between forty to $200,000 initially. And then you don't have to follow up with that much every year after that. It's just that's your initial. And then it could be anywhere from, you know, twenty dollars to $50,000 year two on it really, AJ, It there's no minimum income requirement to do this strategy. But I will say this, you, you really do need to have some sort of savings somewhere else that we can start with yeah. in order to make this work, unless you just scale back and we just start with getting you convertible term insurance. Does that
0: help? Yeah, absolutely. And I like uh, the idea that if you're not there, but you see the value in it, once again, you just go to convertible term insurance, which, yes. um, you know, I mean, I get, I've just got like so many ways we can go, we could jump into the weeds. There's so many, want to talk about, <laughs> but we've already been going on for an hour. So I need to, uh, to wrap up yeah. here. One of the things though, that I really want to talk about, because I want to tie this up in a bow or not talk about, but clarify here is first of all, the basics, you need insurance, right? This is just yeah. like, this is you, When you're talking disability life insurance, um, it's not something you think about, but um, when you need it, it's the only thing you think about. And yes. um, when you need it, it's too late. So just that's, first of all, done. And if you're going to buy it, because you need to, everyone should, you should have it. If you're going to buy it, you might as well buy one that has options. Right? I can convert that. Yeah. I can utilize yeah. it. That you're buying something and putting money into something that you own, you get to keep, that you get to use. So, a lot yes. of people listening to this, you should go back and look at your life insurance policies and say, Do I have options in the future with this or do I not? And what does this mean? Right? Because a lot of people just say, I need insurance. What's the, what, what, how much do I have to pay and what do I get for it? And there's nothing else really there. So, think, think through that right. and think about that. And then, this idea, once again, of infinite banking. And this idea of taking control over your money, um, that you are the one that you're actually getting advantages for the money you're putting into life insurance, what you're doing, that you're creating and putting yourself in a better situation. You're doing it for both of you financially. You're also doing it for your family in case of something happens. It's a no-brainer. And it's powerful. And I hope that people realize that after everything we've talked about, no matter how confusing some of the lingo maybe cuz like finance and insurance they love to make themselves sound smart because they make up words for everything it drives me yeah. bonkers cuz i'm like it's me not that too. complicated we just love to make it sound complicated because we have yeah. names and acronyms and but that's another yeah. nice story um, with yeah. that said there's probably more questions than answers, which is fine. That's good. That's normal, right? Um, Because that means your your horizon has been broadened. Your understanding has been broadened. So for everybody, where can they go, first of all, to find you, but also where can they go? Do you have information that you provide to learn more about this? Is there something that people can dive into that we can't cover in an hour?
1: Yeah. So AJ, what I do is I go to... well, I guess pre-coronavirus era, I was going to a ton of live real estate events and explaining this to people. And I would always have those things videotaped, And so I have a really big um, library of video education that is free, that you can go to my website to get to learn more about it. And again, it's not any kind of a, hard sell at all. It's just giving you education that is free, that doesn't cost anything. And then if you want to figure out what you can do, then I have the option of booking a time to talk with me. So that's all it is. I don't like hound you or chase you down or nothing. It's just going and signing up to get access to these free videos, which it's my website is stressfreeplanning.com. Stress-free planning. Let me just quickly tell you how I came up with stress-free planning is because not having to go ask a bank if you can get a loan is a stress-free way to live. You have guaranteed access to this money, so it's a low-stress environment. And I don't push anything on people that they're not ready for, so I try to maintain that low stress throughout the whole planning process. I try to look at your whole situation and see what would be best for you. So stressfreeplanning.com and sign up for the the videos there. That's the best way to get a hold of me.
0: Awesome. And that's that's perfect. The education part obviously for people is 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 huge because this uh, this can be different. Right. And, but the, I love what you kind of talked about there on the stress free is this idea that you're in control of your finances. And that's, you know, for me in my life has been a central goal because when we talk about losing disability, right, where you're losing your ability to simply do what you know how to do and how you earn income, there's nothing more stressful than that. Your whole entire future, your idea of self confidence and awareness and everything is now in question. It's a crisis of, um, it's more than a crisis of like a personal crisis of personality. It's also a crisis of future. And when you don't have control over your finances, it's like you kind of have that all the time because you're like, right. I really hope I don't get fired. I really hope that I have some paychecks in the future. I really hope by controlling that, having a plan at least setting on a path for me, that lowers that stress. That makes me feel more comfortable. I have options, and I know that in the future, my outlook will be better, and I can have better answers to these questions or problems that I have now. So I love that, that stress over control. But- Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, This was a great talk. Uh, You know, obviously I could just go over this stuff for hours with you because it's so cool. But thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And we'll have uh, your stuff in the show notes so uh, people can come. But I'm sure we'll have you on again.
1: All right. Thank you so much, AJ. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking again soon. Thanks.